This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am here with my lovely co-host, Sarah Kumar. Sarah, if you want to say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Okay, so this is going to be an interesting podcast, and we're going to just jump right into things. Um, there are basically three levels of Eat to Perform, um, even though uh, currently I think we have maintenance as a level maintenance is really more performance and I'll talk about that in a second so I'm gonna go um, I'm gonna take the low-hanging fruit first um, and then we'll sort of walk through the various things as we go I don't know that we're gonna have a whole lot of time for questions but this podcast could potentially change your life and if you've been struggling with you know, fat loss cycles your whole life and wondering why you can't lose weight, you're about to figure that out. Okay, so there's three phases of Eat to Perform that we work with. And if you're a member, you are likely in the app and we are working these phases into um, the application and uh, the basic idea of Eat to Perform is that you're walking through cycles of either muscle building, performance, or fat loss. Now, when people sign up for Eat to Perform, we're asked what their, their goal is. And uh, the, um, there's someone that, that has already responded keto, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why. Um, if you're eating keto, you're probably also not um, seeing progress the way that you would like. Um, keto there's a, is obviously a big part of um, Eat to Perform that has elements of that. And so we'll, we'll walk through that as we go. But I'm going to try and ignore questions as much as possible. But um, any one thing that you do, your body is going to adjust to it. And a lot of time, you know, what we see with people that are coming from a ketogenic background, um, they hold on to body fat, fat stores easier than carbohydrates in your body. Um, more often than not, those people are trying to be comfortable. So they come from, you know, eating 125 grams of fat on a day, which is over a thousand grams of fat. Um, uh -huh. you know, like you're, you're trying, you're making an exchange one way or the other, but I don't want to get too distracted. Um, okay. so muscle building, muscle building, you're looking to gain weight. So muscle building is one of those things like fat loss. People think that they want it, right? But they're not necessarily understanding of what's right. involved, right? And so We'll, we'll have someone and they'll come in and let's say it was a 152 pound guy and he's 5'10 and he wants to build muscle. And he's been eating relatively intuitively for a long time and um, he's probably fighting against um, some genetics there. You know, one of the things that we, we said that we talk about and, and I'll probably bring it up, you know, as we go. But the idea being set point theory, um, there's a lot of people that talk about set point theory. I think that there is a lot of validity to that. I think if you're a 152 uh, pound male 
and you are 5'10", you're probably going to struggle to put on weight and or muscle um, without an extreme change. And, you know, probably the best uh, thing that I'd ever read, you know, John Berardi, Dr. John Berardi um, from Precision Nutrition has done some real good stuff on set point theory that you can Google. Um, the best that I'd ever read, though, that I thought really spoke to me was um, by Dr. Tracy Mann from the University of Minnesota. And what she talked about is basically a range of um, where your body probably wants to sit. And, you know, people that are under eating are probably on the low end of their set point range. And people who are overeating potentially are at the high end. And whether you can change your set point theory, a uh, set point or not, um, is, is an interesting idea or debate. Um, but the long story short is whether you're going up or down. Um, it's going to be very hard, right? You're kind of meant to be who you're meant to be genetically. Right. And so you're working against that a little bit. And so that's probably, uh, you know, there are some outliers to that situation. Um, you know, the one thing that I can think of is anybody that, you know, struggling with an eating disorder might be an outlier on the low end. Um, anyone that's struggling with obesity might be an outlier on the high end. Um, but the good majority of people sit within that range of trying to optimize their body composition um, and trying to figure out the best and easiest way to do it. And so the reason why I led with the idea of um, why paleo, you know, eventually stops working and why dieting is a lifestyle, um, folks, uh, you know, ultimately are under eating, why anyone that's, you know, goes into a chat like mine and says ketogenic dieting, um, yeah. you know, once again, we're talking about dieting and what we're, um, bringing to the table is, is the science that, you should not be dieting most of the time. And so if you're ketogenic dieting, right, um, you're essentially trying to lose fat. And if you're eating at a point where your body is going to be storing fat, no matter what you're doing, um, it's not going to work, you know, right. which is an interesting point because, um, of comfort level. And I think that that, you know, a lot of people have to be real honest about themselves. You know, I know when I was 250 pounds and didn't know a lot about nutrition, um, you know, and, and if you don't know my story, I spent, you know, about 10 years trying to research that. And um, what I think happens is you, you want to cuddle up to simplistic solutions, you know, and so when you're 250 pounds and you're, you know, drinking sodas each day and uh, let me make sure that Facebook is shut down here. But when you're drinking soda each day and, and, and eating sleeves of Oreos and stuff like this, and now all of a sudden you start mixing in some chicken and kale, boy, 
things start to really head in the right direction. And so, you know, you're talking to all your friends and you're like, oh my God, chicken and kale is just amazing. You know, and the reality is that chicken and kale is not amazing. You were just eating like a more... Yeah, you were just eating like a moron previous to that. So when you just so when you decide to quit eating like a moron, that's not the good majority of people though. Is at least that's not the the good majority of the clients that we're talking to on a daily basis, right? Um, that's the low hanging fruit. That's the easy part. Going from two hundred and fifty pounds to two hundred and twenty pounds, you should be able to do that pretty easy, right? With just lifestyle changes. Um, but if you did them using each form theories, I think ultimately you're setting yourself up a little bit better. Um, because what people tend to do, whether it would be ketogenic diet, paleo, you know, whatever, they're just finding a way to undereat, you know, or play with their hunger signaling or hormones or stuff like that. And that's not always fun. So let's get back to my 152 pound guy. He's 5'10. You know, we are trying to increase his weight, um, and I'll give an example here, and these are the things that will be programmed into the Eat to Perform app, but we will set a goal for that person, let's say three to six months, we want that person to weigh 160 pounds. So within, you know, I'd say two weeks, you know, weight goes up to 155 and that guy messages me and says, I'm so bloated, right? Um, and he's feeling bloated. And we talk a little bit about training cycles, what he's doing for hypertrophy. The other thing that is really interesting for hard gainers is that um, when they start to add food, a lot of times the weight doesn't go up. You know, so so let's say that, you know, this person is eating 2,200 calories and we bump them to 2,500 calories. That's not going to do very much. So now you go, okay, I'm going to bump them up to 3,200 calories. In, I'd say, 60 to 70% of the scenarios similar to that, the person doesn't gain weight in that scenario. Right. Like to and, and, and once again, this sort of goes back to the whole set point thought process to change who you are. Fundamentally, you have to make massive changes. So when you look at um, someone going from twenty two hundred calories to set, let's say, four thousand calories in an effort to try and get them to gain roughly 10 pounds. When you look at their training, their training essentially needs to force a growth cycle, right? right? So remember how hungry you were when you were a teenager and you're just shoveling food down and, you know. I'm like that now. Yeah, right. And, and, <laughs> and, and there's seemingly no repercussions. It's because your body's reacting to that. And responding favorably. It's basically how adaptation works. So when you, you know, if, if that person, yeah, the person can, can gain weight um, if we just start throwing 4,000, 5,000 calories at them. But they don't want to gain weight. They want to gain muscle, you know. So here's the other thing in terms of muscle gain, okay. 
Well, I would like to gain muscle, but I don't want to gain any fat. Too bad, right? <laughs> you know, That's like my favorite. <laughs> I mean, um, now, now we're going to talk about a scenario, you know, in just a second where you can do it. It's a little bit of a longer process, um, but it's probably the way that most people should be eating most of the time. So in terms of muscle gain, some of the things that you're going to do, you know, it's always interesting to me that people talk about creatine and, and, and being one of the, the most popular supplements. And they're like, but I, I don't like my creatine to bloat me. Part of a growth cycle is that you're going to want to be bloated on occasion, right? Because you want to turn those raw materials into new tissue. And you that does not happen easily. You know, and if you're a 48-year-old man like I am, it really doesn't happen easily. If you're a 61-year-old female, it really doesn't happen easily. You know, and if you're a 41-year-old female, I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's no joke with age. Like, we're not babies anymore. Yeah. So, so that pretty much covers muscle gain. We probably would not recommend, as an example, a 350-pound man to be in muscle gain, right? Because in general, that person probably has a great deal of muscle and they're going to benefit more from either a performance phase or fat loss. Now, one of the things that you'll hear you know, from health professionals is that if you have a 330-pound person, they should just be in fat loss until they're fixed. It's like, well, that's not how metabolism works. And it's shocking how little health professionals actually know about that, right? They don't necessarily go to school for nutrition unless they're going to school to be a nutrition PhD, which is why we surround ourselves with PhDs and people that know what we're talking about. But metabolism is not static. Um, people that are overweight... As an example, um, they tend to have very um, good metabolisms. Uh, you know, the one caveat that I would ha would say there would be that they they can really affect their metabolism negatively if they never stabilize or move to performance. So um, there you go. That's some thoughts on that. So the big piece that is important to eat to perform is of course performance cycles and I would argue that most people should be in performance cycles 80 to 90 percent of the time especially for really active people like we deal with the good majority of the time if you're um, you know super lean Muscle gain is probably the goal. If you're, let's say we get get our 152-pound male, you know, and I understand, you know, there's probably, you know, a 174-pound female that would love her example. But I think the 152-pound the male, um, you know, we can address like the, the outliers, but, but there's a lot of similarities. I mean, if we wanted to, you know, use a 119-pound female, put her in muscle gain and get her to 130, it's the exact same thing, right? Right. 
So we got our guy. He's at 162 now. So now we move him to performance. He's gained roughly eight pounds of muscle and two pounds of fat. Not uncommon for him to gain six pounds of muscle and four pounds of fat. So then you go, well, how can he turn that four pounds of fat into muscle without having to gain weight? This is how you do that. You continue on the performance side where your training is really pushing that growth adaptation cycle, okay? But the calories will lower to a point where we're actually weight stable or can lose a little bit of weight. So one of the things that that person could do is if we put them in a performance cycle and they went down from 162 to 158 over the course of, let's say, six weeks, um, that would probably address the fat that they would have accumulated in a muscle gain cycle. Um, the best way to do it, though, is probably to stay roughly weight stable, um, maybe within a pound or two, potentially moving up to 164 or down to 160, um, and then just rinse and repeat that performance cycle to a point where um, their macros aren't necessarily as high as they were in a muscle gain phase, but you know, we're really sort of pushing the food side of things, right? And there's a lot of people that are going to argue in favor of carbohydrates. There's going to be some people that argue in favor of, uh, of uh, fats, right? These are all simplistic solutions that ultimately leave people more confused than help them long term. And so keep that in mind that as you choose a simplistic solution, you know, it's sort of like choosing to cut your arm off to lose 20 pounds, right? Um, yeah, it's real simple to do it. And yeah, you lost 20 pounds, but did it really solve the long-term problem? You know, and the reality is, is that, that people try to get as aggressive as they can, as quickly as they can to lose 30 pounds or lose 40 pounds. And in that scenario, a lot of times they blow through a lot of muscle. So um, these performance phases are really important. And what Eat to Perform coaches do in performance phases is they're going to monitor what your weight is doing. And so, you know, a lot of the time, if, if, you know, and this is very common, um, that 162 pound male, we bring his macros into, say, the 3,200, 3,500 range, you know, now all of a sudden he starts losing weight massively, you know, and so now he goes to 158, 157. And we try to find a balance to where he can stay roughly weight stable. If he loses a couple pounds, that's fine. But in general, what we're really trying to work towards is the maximum amount of food that we can get into that individual to give him the raw materials to use the adaptation that is trying to activate through his training cycles. That's ultimately the basic idea of performance cycles. Performance cycles, you know, in the dieting world is what a lot of people know as maintenance cycles. 
You know, and everybody's like, I do not want to maintain this physique. (laughs) And what we're saying is maintenance is a really horrible way of um, describing what is actually happening. You know, Um, and so we think performance cycles actually explains it a lot better. And so. Um, in a performance cycle, you're somewhere around whatever your set point range is. You're essentially trying to build muscle a little bit slower. And this is, like I said, the phase that most people should be in the good majority of the time. And if people have been struggling with fat loss and fat loss issues for a long time, it's more likely than not that they never really like the whole maintenance moniker, right? Um, and never viewed it the way that we explain it to our clients as it relates to why performance is important. And before I move into fat loss, I just want to say like my goal isn't to just feed you more food for, um, you know, food's sake, right? There's a purpose to it. They know you as the fat burglar. I mean, people love posting, I'll take away my food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, say that again. I'm sorry, I got distracted by the... I was go- I was saying that our clients definitely know that about you, that you're not just a food pusher. Because how many posts do we see, Paul took away my food, he stole my fats. Yeah, no, like in, in yeah. or, or carbohydrates. I mean, um, yep. you know... You know, in terms of fat loss phases, um, other than, you know, some of our group coaching teams, um, you know, myself and Brad, we're we're kind of the, the fat loss bad news folks, right? Um, so, so let's talk about fat loss and that'll end this podcast because uh, what mo- most people want to do is they have some view in their head of an ideal body weight or potentially ideal body composition. And I'm not saying that you can't lose 40 pounds all at once, right? And I'm not saying that there isn't a scenario where it could work best for you. Um, But I sort of don't believe there is. Right. I don't really think that the sacrifices that you would need to make unless you were really coming from a very bad way of eating. You know, obviously we're talking about mostly whole foods, you know, the starches that people, you know, the carbs that we're talking about tend to be potatoes. They tend to be, um, you know, white rice starches. Right. Um, We want to take those um, those starches, hydrate the muscle. So then we could potentially build more um, leaner, more effective tissue. So when we talk about fat loss cycles, in general, we're talking about 8 to 12 weeks. There are scenarios where fat loss cycles can be a little bit lower. um, But that is usually the discretion of the Eat to Perform coach. And more often than not, we just you know, suggest to people that they get back into the plan. And once they get back into the plan, they don't really have to get super aggressive as it relates to fat loss. Here's the big things that that I like people to consider when we're talking about fat loss phases 
is do you have the will, right? And you build will two ways, right? There's the I can't stand the way I look in the mirror will. And then there's the I've been in a long performance cycle. I'm eating an adequate amount of food. I'm sleeping good. My sex drive is better. You know, all these potential things. My life is going great. I would like to work on body composition a little bit. So let's let's analyze those two scenarios. Who's going to be more successful? The person trying to hate themselves lean or the person that walks into it with a better approach, right? Right. I would say that a lot of people that buy any kind of dieting system are going into it hating themselves lean, right? They're they they had yeah. they had a bad weekend, they had a bad holiday season, whatever. They're frustrated with the way that things are, and when they see other people, I think a big part of it, like we've got the CrossFit open right now, they are comparing their bodies to other people that they see, and these you know CrossFit athletes, obviously. But what's interesting about CrossFit athletes that I don't think everyone is aware of, you know, and, and a lot of the discussion related to food and nutrition, you know, related to, to CrossFit Games athletes, we started it, right? Yeah. We, you, know, uh, you know, seven years ago when you started talking uh, to CrossFit athletes, the thought process was, oh, if I could just get to 126 pounds, my pull-ups would be better, you know? And what we said was, if you were in a performance cycle the good majority of the time, you would not only get more effective pull-ups, but you would build muscle in that process that would make all things easier, right? <laughs> and so fat loss cycles in, th in, in general, you know, tend to be eight to 12 pounds, um, one of the things that we've started to do once the, the app is, has come out and, and people are starting to see this in the reviews that coaches are making to them is um, we're setting not only time ranges, but we're setting goals, you know, and um, goal weights, you know. And so if you're in the thought process of I need to lose 40 pounds, it's better for me to explain to you why losing 10 pounds right now is better. You know, I would say someone that needs to lose, you know, that, that, that could potentially use, you know, 40 pounds of fat, um, you know, they might be able to get away with 15 pounds in the first phase or first cycle. Right. Right. right? Totally. Um, but cycling it is, is so important. Because not only do you hold on to lean mass better, um, you know, you will also um, build some lean mass in those or those performance cycles. Which also brings up, you know, um, some really interesting points related to the way that you know we view things. You know, a lot of the times, someone that was twenty two pounds and or twenty two years old, one hundred twenty five pounds. And they were like, man, I was a size four. I looked great and felt great. Right. If that person had 144 pounds of muscle, but now they're 48, and now they have 115 pounds of muscle, 
we we have to talk, you know, in in reality of you know like yeah what yeah and and so you don't have 40 pounds to lose in that situation because you gained 11 pounds of muscle in that process you know of just aging right and and being fit and exercising and all that type of stuff um but fat loss phases and and then you go okay so who sets that goal the eat to perform coach sets it. You can give your opinion, but in general, you hire a coach for that coach's opinion, not your opinion, right? You've been doing what you've been doing forever and you've been getting what you got for as long as you've done that, you know? So what we're going to do, and it doesn't mean by the way, you know, that if you come in to eat perform and and you don't feel you don't need to feel ashamed to say my goal is fat loss right but if you were eating 800 calories you know i'm not like this magical metabolic genie um that that can somehow you know get you to eating an adequate amount of food um now, some people will lose weight in that scenario. More often than not, they'll put on muscle because, you know, when you're eating at such a dramatic deficit, you know, you're, you're going to be dehydrated from a standpoint of muscle hydration, you know. Right. So just bringing into that food, adding in a little bit of carbohydrates, feeling a little bit better, sleeping better, all that stuff, you know, it makes yeah. a big difference. Um, but the, the big change that's coming into the app and – that I think will really change the, the, um, I see a lot of health and fitness people wanting to copy a lot of the things that we do, um, which I think is awesome. I hope that happens actually, you know, but the one thing that they're not going to do, I know this is they're not going to want to replicate our performance cycles. And that's the part that everyone has wrong you should be in performance cycles the good majority of the time so me setting a goal for you here's an interesting point though so i set your fat loss cycle so once again let's go with our 162 pound male and for some reason you know he decides he wants to go to 149 you know um let me give a better example so he's 162 i'm gonna i'm Okay, so so he might be thinking in his head he wants to go to 149, but I set his goal at 154.9. Um, right. In a way, this is a weird scenario because typically this is not going to be one of the recommendations that we would have for someone that's already that lean. You know, they're typically right. going to be better off, but just for the sake of example, I'm going to do this. So, so one, we're going to set realistic goals. Um, Two, um, we're going to set a time frame for the end of that goal because um, there's no point in starving yourself for a long period of time when you're not seeing a result, right? right? That is inherently not failure, you know? Like when an army retreats, they retreat for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily failure. It's for future success, so the reason why I mentioned that is our guy, we, he's 162, he's been eating great, 
wants to go into fat loss, and he gets to about 157, and he's just struggling. And he was eating 5,000 calories, and now we've brought his calories down. You know, in performance, he was eating 3,500, 4,000 calories, and now his calories are in the 2,000, and it doesn't make sense. Right, because every calorie is thirty-five hundred, and that should equal a pound. And the problem is, is how your body reacts to fat loss cycles, how it downregulates in that process, and why that is going to be a net negative. So he stalls at one fifty-seven, and there just seems to be no number that we can go to at that point. That's why we put the time limit on the end, right? The time limit on the end for him, let's say that we're 10 weeks. We did everything we could. We brought down his calories. You know, he still wants to sleep. He still wants to function, you know, all these different things. And, you know, he just did not respond to it. Um, that's why the fat loss phase ends. There's no point in him being in a fat loss phase when he's not seeing some level of weight loss because there's a high correlation to weight loss and fat loss. And so it's much better off for that person, you know. Now, once again, I mean, yeah, his goal was set at eight pounds um, or, seven, you know, seven pounds, but he only lost five pounds. Um, the interesting part about that piece is that it sets up a better relationship to insulin sensitivity. Once again, this is another reason why, you know, and, and when we talk about insulin sensitivity, they're like, well, you know, the there's a lot of confusion out there, you know, whenever you start talking about insulin sensitivity. But insulin sensitivity is the opposite of insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is like diabetes, you know, um, type 2 diabetes, things of that nature. Insulin, insulin sensitivity is favorable. And actually walking through these phases actually make you um, better respond and more insulin sensitive. And so as an example, for someone that, that was sort of non-responding, we couldn't get them down to 154.9, but we set that, that time date. We moved into performance. That's not all bad because of the increased insulin sensitivity that's going to end up helping um, his storage profile, right? It's going to be used more for building lean mass than it would be to store body fat in that scenario. And so what we'll often see as the rinse and repeat cycle there, um, as long as the training piece is in place, when, you know, what we like people to think about is Think of performance first. Don't think, you know, I just need to lose food, right? Uh -huh. Because if you start taking away food first, you know, all the things related to down-regulating, your sleep gets bad, you know, you don't feel energetic um, as related to working out, walking, whatever. Start with those things and, and we can kind of move from there. And a lot of times people can see gradual success with that level of intervention without having to get super aggressive and that's kind of the basic nature of eat to perform 
and that's how it works and that's why it's so effective and you know i think one of the things that that i want people to understand is that as you plateau you actually have two options uh you know everyone thinks that the the option that they should take is just eat less you know um more extreme you know detox flushes you know um more paleo you know less chicken and kale um you're defaulting to logic and not a lot to science you know you're trying to work against the way that your body wants to work and that's the basics for why diets don't work all that well right because mm -hmm. they become less and less effective as you're doing the same thing over and over you know what a lot of people don't know is that eat to perform did not start off as eat to perform eat to perform started <laughs> off as your diet sucks um be because you know what i was finding in my research was that the the dieting process the way that people do it you know from the standpoint of i need to lose 50 pounds right uh -huh. they try to get the 50 all at once and end up destroying their metabolism destroying their hormonal profile all these different types of things and like i said you know i don't mind people taking some things that we have because i know that they're not going to take the performance part and that's the secret that's the part that sets eat to perform separate from everybody else because they don't want to tell you the truth because in general you don't want to buy the truth they're just selling you you what you want to buy right Absolutely. and so they keep selling you what you want to buy and in some ways it sort of sets up this reality i mean like you know what what dr tracy mann talks about in secrets from the eating lab is that diets are setting you up to fail so yes. you know let's say that you go to such and such you know dieting program and um, you you know you were eating poorly um, and you go back to the to to those people for a dieting program and they, they tighten up your game and you're just eating less um, then you go back to eating poorly after you've worked with those people it sort of sets up this reality this false reality that their system actually is the thing that working is working mm -hmm. that's actually not the thing that's working right what's really working is the time that you're eating like a moron <laughs> <laughs> right like that's the thing that is actually helping you see the results that you're seeing but that's the way that a lot of people diet their way to obesity because in that process of going back to the same bad system every single time if something actually worked for you you would not need to do it again right right the hardest right. part of dieting cycles is not the dieting cycles it's right. what was formerly known as maintenance cycles and what we've re-termed as performance cycles. Uh -huh. And oh, by the way, yes, you should be doing stuff, right? Yes. Um, and we're not going to go away from that. 
We're never going to stray from what we believe human beings are supposed to do. And oh, by the way, I could really care less if you have six-pack abs. You know, the basis for eat to perform is longevity of life. I'm trying to get you to understand how your body works so you live longer and perform better as an 89-year-old male or female, not just 48 years old or 23 years old, right? That's so, the best part about it. I feel like we covered that. Um, yes. So, I, you know, um, once again... We'd love it if you want to become a four members. I mean, right now, you know, it's it, we've just been so overwhelmed. It's been um, really gratifying process, you know, doing this app and and having people respond so positively to it. Um, but you know, some of the things that we're talking about in in this podcast are things that we've been talking about for four years. Just we need a little bit of a refresher course. But I will say this, six years from now, we're going to be better than we are today. So some of the discussions that we're having related to um, metabolism, hormone profile, all these different types of things, um, you know, we're better at that than we were three years ago. And, and so is our competition, by the way, right? It used to be no one ever talked about undereating. Right in the CrossFit world, it was you know everything was zone and paleo and yeah. you know just eat like a caveman. And now right. you know there the narrative is much more about being specific, which doesn't mean by the way that you can't eat zone, which doesn't mean by the way that you can't eat paleo, but you should at least know what the calorie profile is for that. You know and um. I think one of the things that that people like about Eat to Perform is that you can eat a little bit more flexibly, but it's not the core of Eat to Perform. Trust me, me going from 250 pounds to 150 pounds, there was a lot of chicken and kale involved, right? And so Whole Foods is a big piece of what we do. And if you try to eat your calorie profile with energy dense foods you're probably going to set up a failure scenario based on the fact that you're going to be hungry you know mm -hmm. and so there's always some value in eating more whole foods um just like there's probably some value in eating more energy dense foods rather than just nutrient dense foods if mm -hmm. if Nutrient density, you know, which is kind of the, the 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 buzzwords around like paleo and juicing and stuff like that. If nutrient density was the secret, all your friends from the last four years would all be ripped. Right? <laughs> nutrient density is not the secret. It's a big right. part of it. You know, I have to say when when you know um I started to move to a more whole foods way of eating. Part of that transitioning period involved juicing. Now, I was eating a good amount of food at that point. So having those extra micronutrients sure helped me a lot. 
Um, but it wasn't the, the simple solution. And if simple solutions worked, you know, then everyone would be doing them and I'd be out of business. And yet we have 1.5 million fans. Um, we have a lot of people having a lot of success. You know, we've had over 100,000 members, you know, of Ether Reform. Um, and then people go, well, you know, why aren't, you know, why haven't you taken over the world? Because it's hard, <laughs> right? Changing everything about who you are now is difficult. Changing the way that you want to think, you know, it, I had someone ask me if they should be setting their weight loss goal. And I said, no, um, I would do that for them. And they said, well, how do you know how much um, weight I want to lose? I said, because I don't really care how much weight you want to lose. Right. I only care about what's realistic from a scientific standpoint and how we can set you up to be successful. Right. So what you want is the reason why each form is ultimately either going to be successful for you or not. Right. If you want the long term understanding of longevity of life fat loss cycles, muscle gain, how physiology works, you'll you'll be real successful. You know, if you want to lose 30 pounds in 30 days, you know, how's that been working for you? Right? So, so let's keep that in mind. All right, guys. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, appreciate everybody being here. Any anything that you want to add to the equation, Sarah, before we shut it down? No, I thought that was a great one, and I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye now.